would it make somebody at a party stop and ask for more questions? If it's like too self-explanatory, if it's too obvious, nobody would ask for more information. They're like, oh yeah, I remember learning that. If it's too out there, if it's too big of a claim, they'd be like, well, you're weird. And then they'd also leave. It's all about balancing like this, this interesting claim with a reason that is relatively understandable. Welcome to How to Make a Science Video. make the long, boring scientific process interesting. You're listening to Sophie Ward. And you're listening to Simon Clark. And together, the two of us have over 10 years, over a decade of experience on YouTube and a science communication master's in my drawer. You don't put it on the wall? No, I'm ashamed, despite what this podcast makes it seem like. (laughs) Anyway, we both make science videos and we're both curious about how to best share science with the world. This week, we're asking, how do you make the long, boring scientific process interesting? To find out how she does it, we're talking to... Hi there, I'm Sabrina Cruz. I'm a video producer at Answer in Progress, where we make videos tracking the journey from question to answer, showing usually failure along the way. (laughs) (laughs) And when you meet someone at all the inevitable dinner parties you go to, how do you describe what you do for a living? Is that what you say? Is that your elevator pitch? Oh, buddy, I lie. I lie. (laughs) You're not going to catch me admitting I'm a YouTuber. In 2023, (laughs) the the thing that I do most often is I just call myself either an animator or an editor. If I really don't want to talk about it, I say that I'm a producer. Because nobody really knows what a producer is. Yeah. Yeah, I thought video producer would be what you would go with, but animator or editor's quite, that's quite a nice one. Animator, though, it must get people being like, oh, Disney. Oh, yeah. You immediately hit them with disappointment, being like, oh, no, I usually just like animate graphs and stuff or like Mm. explainer videos. Disney appointment. Yeah. (laughs) Do you ever, Sabrina, catch yourself on the odd occasion describing yourself as a science communicator? I feel weird saying that because I think on some occasions I would, what I do could be seen as science communication. I'm passionate about certain uh, aspects of technology and certainly technology is a science question mark. We've included it in the acronym. Yeah, Uh, it's right next to it. You know, the S and the T, they're cozy together. It's a thing. I think that I steal a lot of concepts and like a lot of practices, both on an explainer level, but also like on like technical video production levels from science communicators. But would I call myself one? Am I communicating anything? In the first place, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I'd argue that of a lot of the people we're speaking to for this season, I think you're one of the most true science communicators because you're showing the scientific process. You're showing how much of it is actually about trying and failing. Like, that's the whole process. Oh. Ooh. And he hasn't said that to everyone, Sabrina. That's a genuine, <laughs> a genuine comment. Yeah, I genuinely think that. Yeah, I guess the science that I'm communicating is just the process of doing a science, which is asking questions, beefing it, going in the wrong direction for a solid 30 days, <laughs> hating yourself afterwards, going right back to square one. <laughs> <laughs> the hating itself segment is important. That's education though, isn't it? It's like, it's, it's, it's a process. It's, it's teaching people these are the steps you go through rather than this is the end result. Because I, I draw a distinction between educational and informational content. Mm. I feel like a lot of people who think of themselves as educators are just 
informing people it's like here's a here's a top 10 list of whatever it is that's not education whereas i think what you do is very much the emphasis on how you get there not where you're going oh that means a lot because that was actually why answer in progress happened in the first place Ah. three of us we were like college kids we enjoyed ourselves an educational piece of content here or there while we enjoyed it we found ourselves not really retaining any of the information we were just like this is my vibe it's like how you listen to music sometimes you're like ah It's the noise in my head. I enjoy it. Can't apply this to my life. Yeah. (laughs) And we wanted to figure out a way to like capture a completely separate sort of energy. Casey Neistat. You know how old Casey Neistat videos, maybe new Casey Neistat videos, but old Casey Neistat videos made you like want to go outside, start a project, go on an adventure, do something. We wanted to capture that energy, but for learning, like pick up the book, try out this thing, ask that question, find the answer. We thought that we were going to be a lot more useful on the information front when we first started out. (laughs) But, you know, when you get three idiots trying something, turns out not a lot of information can be found. (laughs) you got to keep it relatable, you know? There we go, yeah. Nothing more relatable than being an idiot. (laughs) (laughs) You've talked about your answer in progress, team, and obviously, like, we only have you here today. We were like, you know, in our thoughts, Taha, Melissa, you know, but we we were like, we didn't actually think about it. Well, that's for a conversation for another time. Yeah. Uh, we can discuss it off air. Oh, okay. Just a heads up, Taha and Melissa aren't dead, despite how this sounds, and in fact, are very much alive. And perhaps, guys, you'd like to come on a future season of the podcast? Question mark? Just a thought. Love you. Because you were making videos before Answering Progress. I was. Were you wanting to make do something different? What was your kind of arc? What, what is your arc? What has been your arc? Oh, it's just a sequence of existential crises that started off way too young. (laughs) Yeah, I started making videos when I was like 13 years old. So that was 2012, question mark? I I can't believe that was over 10 years ago. Hold on, give me a second. Oh, no. (laughs) How old were you in 2012, Simon? I was 22. No. I'm an old man. I was was finishing off my Oxford degree at that point. It's a flex. Anyway, go on. So Okay. So I started off making YouTube videos and like the types of content creators that I really enjoyed watching were like the Vlog Brothers, Charlie is so cool, like yes. like this nerd culture type of content. And what I tried to make were just incredible ripoffs of that. But as time went on, I really fell in love with the process of making videos. And I got really lucky because around three, four-ish years in, I got to host a series called Crash Course Kids. It's part of Complexly's Crash Course Ah. Productions, but it was one targeted towards like fifth graders. Hmm. And that really showed me what life is like, not from the independent producer, vlogger, just trying their best standpoint, but from like an actual company with like various structures. There's a researcher, there's a writer, there's a fact-checking process, there are camera op. It was like, it was like a whole new world. I read from a teleprompter for the first time and I was like, whoa, this is so much better than having to remember things to say. Yeah, looking at the script, reading the script and then saying it and then reading the script and then saying it again. I still do that. And I'm the worst at that. Oh, yeah, I I have to because like sometimes you're way too close to the teleprompter to actually do anything. But I love a teleprompter when I have the chance to use it. Mm. But yeah, so I got the chance to do that and it really showed me like what I could be doing, what I could be making. And sure, down the line, I started making like more college relatable stuff because, you know, you got to pay the bills when you're an influencer. Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) But like my real passion was in like trying to create something 
that is informational or educational and like got people excited to learn about these like little nerdy things that I cared about. And then I got around like my last two-ish years of university and I got burnt out. Oh, yeah. I just, I got so burnt out. Like I think that it was a mixture of, I lost a lot of the passion that I had that like had fueled like making videos. I didn't know what stories I wanted to tell. It felt like very monotonous and robotic. Like I had these techniques kind of back of pocket. I learned how to animate. I learned how to edit. I got better at shooting and lighting, but I didn't have like a story that I wanted to tell. And then at the same time, I was just trying to graduate. And then there was this little thing they called the pandemic. Just the pandemic. Oh. There's never been another one. Yeah, duh. <laughs> but not with a th- with a D. No, that, that, yeah, and there yeah, will yeah. not be no. another, no. The one and done. That's what I say. <laughs> <laughs> so did that fall as you were graduating then? Yeah. I didn't have a convocation. It's fun. Oh, boy. I didn't have final exams either, though. So did that you was not? Great. No exams? No. 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 It was, I scammed my way through the last year of university. <laughs> don't trust my degree. I don't know how to learn anything. All that burn out of nothing degree-wise. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, so then there was that. And uh, I think that around that time, it really came to be a point where like everyone was turning to other people, right? Everyone was realizing like the importance of like having other people in your life. I think I was coming to that realization a little bit before March of 2020, but like it was around that time where I was having an existential crisis and I realized like doing it alone just isn't fun. What is the point? What do I want to be talking about? Yeah, it's so lonely, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So then I was like, let's talk to other people then. So then I roped in like two of my favorite collaborators from, from time, like Taha from... From everything. The real ones, remember, can't stop me, which I can't <laughs> pronounce in a British accent. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, Melissa, who was like... She was a classmate of mine in high school, and we sat together in film class, and I've roped her into projects since, like, almost the beginning. And so we kind of, like, came together and, like, kind of conceived of what Answer in Progress was, and we figured out, like, these are the kinds of stories we want to tell. This is how we want to tell it. And having those other people in my life and, like, the stories that we wanted to tell, it really helped me, like, get excited about creating things again. And here we are today. Everything is seamless. It is so easy now. Ha ha ha. <laughs> okay, there was sarcasm there. <laughs> what? But yeah, so that was like the journey up to Answer in Progress. And has it been like smooth growth the whole way? Have you had like specific growth spurts with particular projects? It's definitely not a smooth trajectory up, but I think that it's kind of like you learn a little bit, you really implement those learnings, and then there's a massive jump, right? Or what feels like a massive jump especially from the back-end perspective. And then things start to slow again. You start realizing other frictions. You start trying to figure out how to resolve them. Those learnings finally catch up to practice. And then there's another jump. So for us, the first time around was like figuring out what stories we wanted to tell and how we wanted to tell them. Like that was definitely something that we figured out while making videos. And that was a bit of a balancing act. But we got better at telling those stories and we just noticed like this slow, slow growth. And then we noticed like, hey, even if people are watching these videos, like not everybody who could benefit from it are clicking. And we're like, oh, right. Titles and thumbnails in this economy. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) So then we started really trying to figure out titles and thumbnails. And that was more growth, more, more slow figuring out. And then once we kind of like locked into a kind of threshold of what we thought was a good title and thumbnail, 
growth came along. And then we noticed like our videos, we kind of like them. Where are the stakes though? Are we still telling a cohesive story or are we just watching somebody bumble around for a little bit? Because like what we wanted to do was really capture like a vlog energy. Like you're watching somebody go on this journey. The issue is like sometimes the journey as it happens like day to day, hour to hour is like too messy for somebody to follow. Mm. So we realized like we need to figure out how to tell like the story in a way where there are stakes throughout, right? Like day to day, hour to hour, there is like something to anchor people to that this is what they can follow. And then when that came around, I think it really came out with like the fake buildings video that we made a while back where we were just like, okay, this is a video about fake buildings. The anchor throughout this is just like, one, what is a fake building? Where are they? Why do they exist? Like it was just something that people can really latch on to no matter where they are in the video. That video did well. It was probably our best performing video. It was like four million views. Wow. <laughs> Crazy. Nice. Yeah. And that was like the next big jump. And I think the thing that we're trying to do now is not only maintain stakes throughout a video, but like have those videos occur without as many frictions. Because a lot of the time when you're trying to make these videos documenting question to answer, you get to an answer where it's just like, oh no, (laughs) that wasn't very good. Yeah, yeah. Or it's like, oh no, I couldn't get to the answer because it was too hard. I asked too big of a question. And you've set it up as if you were going to get the answer rather than being satisfied in like the little morsel of an answer that so often happens. Mm. So now what we're trying to do is we're like taking another look at how we approve video to go into production. This is a bit boring. I don't know if this, this is a video about process. So no, here yeah, you go. No, yeah, 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 we want to know your process <laughs> of yeah, how it, the steps. We've got an editor as well, so don't worry. <laughs> nice. Poor editor. I'm so sorry. You have to deal with me. It's okay though, I guess. So the three of us are like curious people. We have things that we want to talk about. Unfortunately, the things that we want to talk about don't always translate immediately to like, this is a video that other people will want to hear you talk about. Mm -hmm. So what we have to do then is we have this checklist of like various conditions and like things you should think about before starting a video to avoid being halfway through, two months in, realizing you're going nowhere. So top of the order, of course, we got a thesis statement. It took us like two and a half years to realize we should have a thesis statement. Insane. (laughs) (laughs) We got so caught up in like telling a story, making a video that we forgot like rule number one. What are you saying? Why are you saying it? Yeah, yeah. The other thing is like, who are you making this for? That's really important. Well, you're just going through our question list. Yeah, Yeah, I was going to say. That's your next. I'm so sorry. (laughs) We'll follow up with questions. Don't worry. Um, Yeah. So then we we have like a who are you making this for? Who is your audience? Because that also informs not only the information that you cover within the narrative, but also your title and thumbnail because you want those people to be clicking on your title and thumbnail. So step three. Title and thumbnail, what is it? Really high up in the list. And luckily, the way that the thesis statement works is that we kind of like let that fuel the title and thumbnail. We also have like other tricks for title and thumbnail, like big number, put an arrow there. (laughs) (laughs) Who would have thought? (laughs) After that, we like lay out the story beats for the video. We realize like through experience that even though we don't script every second of the video before the video happens, you kind of know where a journey will end. Like something will happen here. From those outcomes, you can say this thing about it. Mm. And we kind of like leave those as placeholders. And after laying out those story beats, then we're like, are you still arguing your thesis statement? Like, are these things still connected? Is the thesis the same thing as the story that you're telling? Is the same thing that your title and thumbnail are promising? 
And once we get all of those together, we're like, okay, there's like a video here and it it can take a very long time to get to this point. There are also other things like how do we get Patreon people involved? How do we implement a group dynamic? Who can we interview to make this video better? All that stuff. But those are like bonuses. Like the necessary components are those like, I think I listed five-ish things. So when you're putting together a thesis statement, is there a specific structure that you have? Because when I'm writing my videos, I use, there's a definition of psychom from a paper, which is A-E-I-O-U, where it's like awareness, enjoyment, interest, opinion, forming, and understanding. I start with one of those verbs. I mean, do you have a structure like that or is it more freeform? Oh, we do blank because blank. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> ah, yes, the, uh, the rival theory in the psychom <laughs> yeah. world. I have no idea if that is a thing, but basically the way that we gauge the quality of this thesis statement is would it make somebody at a party stop and ask for more questions? Mm. If it's like too self-explanatory, if it's too obvious, nobody would ask for more information. They're like, oh yeah, I remember learning that. If it's too out there, if it's too big of a claim, They'd be like, well, you're weird. Mm. And then they'd also yeah. leave. It's all about balancing like this interesting claim with like a reason that is relatively understandable. Like people can kind of piece their way there, but they want to ask you like, okay, can you fill in that gap for me? That'll make it easier for me. And that's what we want our videos to be satisfying as well. Some are easier than others. Sometimes we hit the mark better than others. But the goal is to like really get to ourselves to a point where it's just like, claim because reason you put so much thought into making a video does it always track with how the videos end up doing because I think so many people say oh videos really surprise me what does well what doesn't do well but it seems like you guys think about it so much that I'm like well they've got it sus they must be able to track like <laughs> you know if it ticks this many boxes then it'll get do this well like how well does that track sometimes we're able to be like yeah that's gonna do well like for example we made a video about Japanese web design and how mm. web design in East Asia can vary quite dramatically from in the West. Mm. And when we were dropping that video, we were like, yeah, that's going to get a million views. It got more than a million views, but we were like, yeah, this is going to be a video that does well. It hits all of our boxes, but more importantly, it told the story in a really satisfying way, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> Can confirm. Yeah, I watched that one as well. <laughs> thank you. I was one of those million. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. But yeah, sometimes we'll set a video up like that and we'll know. Other times... We will find ourselves in a situation where we kind of like do a little bit of copium. We're just like, oh, yeah, this video is good. It has a good title and thumbnail. I'll carry it. But more often than not, if the video itself isn't satisfying or if there's some disconnect between the promise in the title and thumbnail and the clarity or the quality of the video, it can be visually incredible. It could be really fun. But if there's any sort of disconnect in that process the video tends to not do as well. Mm. And certainly as your audience grows, the baseline of doing well increases or like doing badly increases. Like for us, a video that does badly is way more than a video that did super well back in 2021, right? So mm. that's something that we always like to keep in mind as well. But we have big aspiration. We just want to tell a good video that people like, you know? We just want to make a good video that people like. And in terms of who you're making it for, I mean, you say that you're considering that video by video, who the target audience is. How much does it change video by video? <laughs> hmm. It can vary pretty dramatically. Like, for example, one video that we just released, I think, is it our most recent upload? Might be one of our more recent uploads. Uh, Melissa really wanted to make a video about oh, the beans. I remember this. Yeah. 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 <laughs> have so much potential and it is so sad to think that people think that this 
is all a bean can be. Do you see all of these varieties? This is just the tip of the iceberg. If you couldn't tell, I've been really into beans since the beginning of the year. Naturally, I wanted to share this excitement with other people, and I thought that they would have the same response. So I texted a whole bunch of people to see if they like beans. And uh, they didn't get it. It made me realize that there's people who are really not into beans, like my brother. And then there's people who just don't care. Are beans important to your life is a bad question. It was a valid question. How important <laughs> is such a dumb way of phrasing this? If beans were gone from my life, I'd just eat something else. So to prove a point, I am going to open up a restaurant that only serves beans. Thank you for coming to the grand opening. It will never be open again. And hopefully, I'll convert some bean haters into some bean believers. So then we made a video about beans. And then the video after that was about public transit and yeah. why we need... <laughs> so it's like th things can vary quite quite dramatically. But we think that one, because of the way that like recommendation algorithms work, we aren't so restricted in like you need to make a video for the same person every time on the same channel, right? It's more about capturing the same energy throughout the videos and ultimately the same structure, right? Like mm -hmm. even though bean video varies quite drastically in subject matter to public transit video, you are just seeing two people take completely unreasonable approaches to the same question and that has value in its own right yeah your brand is like structure and vibe rather than topic yeah <laughs> exactly i love it. it that's such a great way to describe it structure <laughs> and vibe and then in terms of that i'm just so curious about because you have such a good handle on this in terms of that target audience how do you typify them is it like demographics is it interest like curious how... bean lover versus curious transport <laughs> lover yeah like how do you describe the audience member that you're going for oh so for example i'm making a video coming up it's about intelligence testing in humans and how that relates to benchmark testing in ai Spoiler alert. So the way that I approached figuring out who this video is for was I wanted to know what the impact I wanted the story to be. And I didn't want it to be for people who are already deeply, deeply interested in AI. This is not for them. These people already know the things that I'm talking about. So I was like, okay, who would benefit from this? And I started thinking about the people in my life who inspired me to want to tell this story. And then I started relating that to like, okay, what are larger groups of people? So it's like, you start off with an idea, you go narrow on a singular person, and then you start expanding what social groups they're in. And I somehow ended up on like, you know the people who are say that they're really into psychology? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and like, there are people who are really into psychology and all the power to them. But then there are people who are into psychology because like, it's a little bit weird and it's a little bit morbid and it like mm. makes you feel like you understand yourself better. I'm an Ent J. Yeah, that kind of. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like they're tangentially related to horoscope girlies and like personality types, mm. like that kind of spectrum of person. One, I know that this is a good audience to write for because this type of content keeps existing these people exist. And two, it's like, I think that that is tangentially related enough to the video that I think that this is a good audience to target. So you're trying to find somebody who's specific enough that you can frame the video for them, but still common enough that your video will get views. Yeah. <laughs> and then at the same time, we also just write for our primary audience, which is a bit vague. It's the people who subscribe for the vibe and structure yeah, rather than anything specific. <laughs> So then what do you see your role as in a video? Because you've thought a bit about your audience and stuff. And it seems like you're very much sort of the curious 
I'm basically standing here in place of you going on this wild adventure and you've come along with me. It seems like you're more that than I've done this research and I'm an expert. How carefully have you thought about that and put across a certain persona? Is the persona just you? All these questions. It seems like it is. Yeah. That feels a bit Wizard of Oz, like, who are you? (laughs) (laughs) No, but I I think that is a perfectly fair thing to bring up because it is something that we thought about. When we made the channel, we were tired a bit of videos where it's just like somebody did all the research and here it is for you because it didn't inspire us in the same way that like a Casey Neistat video did. The second thing was like, we knew our limitations. We all have our bachelor's degrees, which is fine. But at the end of the day... I've not done real research. Uh, (laughs) So I think that that was kind of like the combination where we were like, okay, we don't want to be disingenuous. We don't want to frame ourselves as experts. What can we do? Like, let's turn that into a strength. And so we were like, okay, what if we're like your dumb friend that just went for it? You know the one who just has stories to tell because they wasted their time on yeah. Wikipedia for yeah, a really long time? they disappeared time. for a month. They came back like, yeah. hey, guys, bean oh, restaurant. God, do I have a friend like this? Yeah. Yep. We were like, let's do it. Let's do that instead. Because like, it's something that we can do and we feel like we are equipped to do that. But in terms of like the actual personality that comes out as a result, that is all us. Melissa is that weird about beans. In some ways, weirder. <laughs> we we actually asked her to turn it down. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we did. <laughs> Sabrina was behind the camera. Cut. Can we just just lower the beans? Just just take just a little bit less. That's so good. Captain's log. We appear to be in a star-forming region of space, a nebula. But instead of large, bloated, loud balls of gas, the stars being formed here are very different. They're stars of online educational video, making long-form content about science, geopolitics, and video games, among other subjects. That's right, Captain Picard. Nebula is a streaming service owned by a collection of creators, including Sophie and I, that hosts innovative, educational, and inspirational content from some of your favorite video and podcast makers. You can listen to all episodes of How to Make a Science video ad-free on Nebula, but you can also watch exclusive content from other creators such as Our Changing Climate, Lindsay Ellis, Wendover Productions, and many more. Exclusive content includes individual videos from your favorite creators, but also entire series such as Jetlag and Red Atoms. Get access to Nebula by signing up at go.nebula.tv slash htmasv. That's our special How to Make a Science Video link. And by using it, you can get 40% off a membership plan and support the show. Again, that link is go.nebula.tv slash htmasv. Computer, put Nebula on the main view screen. Engage. I mean, how many of you are working on on a given video? What's the partition of labor like in terms of the production process? How many people work on it? Good question. It varies from video to video. We're returning to the bean video, I guess. Let's take that as an example. So on every video, there's like a primary showrunner, quote unquote. We just needed a term for these things. I don't know if showrunner is the right word, but we couldn't just go with video producer for everything. It's been tragically overused. (laughs) I was just going to say producer, yeah. And they are in charge of being on camera, developing the pitch, and being the primary creative decision maker, right? Like they are the driving force. They want this video to happen. They're making it. Now, every week, we'll have these collaboration sessions where this showrunner will talk to the other two, and they'll be like, hey, 
does this make sense? Does this work? Am I going too far left field? Am I too caught up in my head? Because that happens a lot where you're like, when you're trying to explain something that you care a lot about, it suddenly becomes just a word salad. So like the other two exist to kind of like tame you and help you like pull a story from the from the sheer joy and excitement you might have about beans. There was actually no real reason for me to center this on beans. I'm speaking say, very yeah. vaguely. Yeah. Looks like some real shade is being thrown in the bean direction. But, yeah, uh, this beans is like an omnipresent, like, you know, being. To be fair, she's fully influenced me. I now eat beans in, like, once a day. I just, they just trickle their way into meals. It's trickle wild. Trickle their way. Oh, that's not oh, a verb I want to hear in that so context. Visual. Beans are incredibly versatile. Oh, I forgot you guys are British. You only have one type of bean there and it's baked. <laughs> wow. Listen, a baked bean is versatile in itself. I got mocked by that so hard when I went to Sweden. One of the main questions I got asked was like, beans on toast? What were you guys thinking? Like, <laughs> that's not a meal. <laughs> so I was like, what, where's this coming from? I've got very into butter beans though recently. Butter yes. beans are ace. Mm. Butter beans with courgette, very good. Very, very good. Mm. So See? I'm not like other Brits. Beans. <laughs> <I'm> not, <laughs> I'm not like other Brits. <laughs> There are so many ways you could apply that hashtag as well. Like, yeah. <laughs> oh boy. All the stuff in my house is actually mine. I didn't steal any of it. I'm not like, other, not like Brits. other Brits. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, where are we? Uh, I know, yeah. How many people work on a video? Oh, right, 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 right. Okay, so then the primary showrunner will also usually be in charge of their own shooting and scheduling all of that stuff. So they'll have to find their own interviews. They'll have to set up their lights, say words to the camera that they themselves have written or like Mm -hmm. vibed out in front of camera. Mm -hmm. All three of us have different ways of preparing what we want to say. Okay, interesting. So from there, depending on like the video, others will like step in to be like, hey, do you need help sending these emails or do you need help shooting this one scene? For example, I did a video where I learned parkour. It was a bad video. I love that video. Oh, you liked it? It was terrible. It's fine. (laughs) We can disagree. (laughs) I liked it. I liked that. (laughs) But Melissa was the one operating the camera during my parkour lessons because I was like, these shots need to be like a lot more dynamic than just a locked off (laughs) tripod shot. So I was just like, Melissa. Dynamic is the word to describe it. (laughs) (laughs) I was shockingly bad. I don't know why I was delusional. I really thought I was going to be good at parkour. (laughs) But yeah, so that covers up like most of the production and pre-production stuff. Post-production. Our goal is to get to post-production as quickly as possible because with the types of stories that we tell, very rarely does it work from brain script to like camera the first time around. Once it gets to the edit, you watch it and you're like, this is missing something or this was too much. The vibe was off here, yada, yada. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So then we work with an editor, the talented Joseph Tricky, to put that together. And then it's like a large back and forth. So like we might shoot a lot of the story ahead of time and then he goes to the edit or we're shooting while he's editing. It varies depending on the project. So for example, with my memorizing 3,141 digits of pi, that was shot, footage sent. Interview shot, footage sent. Memorized pi, footage sent. Like it was like the story was being built out as I was memorizing pi. Um, (laughs) But it varies. But eventually we'll agree on like a picture lock. And then we'll go into like animation. Sometimes the picture lock will happen after animation begins. Who knows? Life is terrible when you're in digital and there are very tight deadlines <laughs> uh, and very few people working on things. So we'll do some animations. Usually it's just like a, some overlay graphic stuff like, oh, we're drawing an arrow here, lower third here. Sometimes <laughs> it's a little bit more intense. It, it really depends on the video again. And then we export 
We have now since implemented a policy of export has to happen the day before a video goes live or the video doesn't go live because we've had one too many video go up and we're like, that exported wrong. And it's just now oh, out there on the yeah, channel. Yeah. Oh my gosh, really? <laughs> yeah. Wait, would you pop it on the channel without doing the final watch through of the export? Listen, when it's like a 40 minute long video. Yeah, it's yeah, true. It's yeah. true. It's hard to yeah, do the rewatch. I know, I know. I always do it on like a quicker speed. I mean, I have way less editing than you, but like, yeah, because if you're even on two times speed, you're like, might miss things and like, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. I get people from my Discord, like the moderators of my Discord. Your fans. So they're, they're, they're honestly <laughs> collaborators at this point. <laughs> yeah, I get them to watch it. I, for the big videos I do, that's a super useful resource. Because ah, yeah, I also smart. don't want to watch my own stuff when I've written it filmed it sometimes mm-hmm. edited it i'm just sick of seeing it you know exactly and you're going to be uber critical of it like you're going to put this video out like i hate everything about this yeah tear it all down <laughs> that's why when i watch something on two times speed it feels like it's a different video like i often find i'll hate a video and then i'll watch it on like hmm. 1.5 speed and i'll be like oh this feels so different and i now like it again <laughs> it's actually the way that i like fix that end of video oh interesting not liking it. all of your videos just go out and it, they automatically have 1.5 yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this is how the artist intended it to be exactly seen. that actually happened with me the other day i watched back an edit of the video i did about decarbonizing transport and i sent a note to the editor i was like this section really works when i watched it at two times speed can you just speed everything up by a hundred percent and no. the audio stayed the same the audio was the same but I was like this video really works at double speed but I, which I thought was quite funny wait how is the audio the same your voice as in, it was, it was like, like it was game footage that we sped oh, up right. and then I had my okay. audio I thought it was just it. you god you got you I was like it needs more punch it needs more energy this plane's taking off too slowly <laughs> yeah but like that's that's the process okay so then when we're talking post-export now mm-hmm. the key thing key question we've been asking everyone do you read the comments Ooh, I do for the first little bit to catch if we uploaded the wrong version. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I think like those are really important to catch mm-hmm. right off the bat because the people who first watch your video are also the people who are most likely like subscribe to you, have notifications turned on. They're invested in you making good videos. They're not just some random on the internet who wants to pick a fight for some reason. I don't know. People have too much time sometimes. <laughs> uh, but like these are people who care. So like it, it makes sense to read those comments. I personally find it very funny to see how many people comment first. And I like feel a little bit of joy for the person who gets a genuine first. Mm. It's hard to get nowadays. It is. It really is. Yeah. So we'll read it for the first little bit. And then it's funny because when a video does well in the numerical sense, the comment section is just... Don't go there. I don't want to be there. (laughs) Take it away. But like the ones that like are more humble, let's let's call them humble videos. uh, Their comment sections stay just like nice and pleasant, and it's like really cool to see people rediscover them from time to time. And like it's cool to see like an older video pop up in your YouTube studio, and you're like, oh. People are still watching that. Yeah. I'm glad Hello. that you got some use out of Hello, it. Hello, old yeah. friend. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cute. You said it was sort of, you know, successful numerically. What does a successful video look like to you? Confetti, baby. Sorry. <laughs> yes. One out of ten. <laughs> Let's go. What do you mean by it? Like an emotional level success or like a- As in you've produced a project and, you know, you, you see the analytics come in or the comments come in, whatever it is, and you, you sit back and go, yeah, that was a success. Oddly enough, like in terms of the performance basis, we measure success by just like, 
Is it above average? Is it within the top five performers? If you want to get a little bit more granular, we look through the click-through rate and impressions just to make sure like those numbers are lining up. Is the, Are the click-through rates lining up for like our more successful videos based off of the same number of impressions? Just to jump in for a moment here, Sabrina talks about the click-through rate. This is an example of one of the many statistics that YouTubers have on what's called the back-end or YouTube analytics. The click-through rate is the percentage of people who, when shown your title and thumbnail, actually choose to click on the video and then go ahead to watch it. And arguably one of the big aims of the game with being a YouTuber is to maximise that percentage. Oh yeah, big hitter. And. I think it's interesting that actually in our conversations in this season, we haven't had all that many people talk about analytics. No, that's true. And in comparison, we have Sabrina giving a lot of insight into analytics. So we'll just, we'll just go back to her. Good shout. This is how we inform ourselves of like, what is a story that people are interested in clicking? How are we packaging this? What can we learn from this, right? But on the back end, we do do a debrief after our videos where we're just like, okay, what went wrong with production? Why did that go over? Like a video is a success in the sense that it gets finished, but there's always something to correct. And so we always like go on to have a meeting to talk about like, how can we make this better? What did you learn that the other two might be able to learn and implement so they don't have to waste their time on another Mm. mistake? So yeah, we do that. You do a bit of analytics like CTR, stuff like that. But you don't go right in there. In Nitty the- gritty. Yeah, um, exactly. <laughs> yeah, not really, no. Because like, if you look at the demographic stuff, that's so swayed by like VPNs and the accuracy of the input information. And like sometimes people move. But YouTube doesn't know how to keep track of geography, <laughs> to be totally honest with you. Like we don't really care too much about the demographic stuff. There's the qualitative information that comes from comments. What are people commenting? Are they getting the right message from the video? Mm. Are we creating a vibe that we like, or at the very least, don't hate? The public transit video comment section got super classist and racist really? for a little bit. Oh, uh, it, was, it was not fun. But like that's what happens when you make a political video, and public transit is inherently political. Still. Which is wild. <laughs> yeah. 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 In terms of like diving deep into the analytics, I find that it's too much noise. Especially Mm. when you upload as rarely for us and with videos that have such a wide scope of topic coverage, you just can't control for enough variables for most of the information to be meaningful Mm. in the analytics section. What would you say your upload frequency is? Is it is it is it twice? I actually can't remember. It felt very personal. (laughs) (laughs) I actually can't remember if it's a set frequency or if it's when a project is ready. We aim for two videos a month. Don't test us on that. Don't (laughs) check. (laughs) But like, I think that in our perspective, just the way like the company works on the back end, as long as we ourselves are producing, like we have like the footage in the can, it's just stuck in the edit maybe, or it's stuck in polish. As long as you have two videos done in a month, that's great. That's golden. Three? Yeah. That would be amazing. But it's all about getting to that point. We don't care so much about like the actual upload frequency because we're riding this fine line where there are people who have to upload every day and they need to keep uploading every day. Mm. Like part of their success is based off that familiarity and stability, right? Like they step in as a friend, like, oh, this is my morning video to watch. Similarly for like weekly content, but we exist more in this whole like, what now? What are they doing now? And we haven't noticed it like impact us too badly, Mm. that lack of frequency. 
personally, I think I would like to upload less frequently. I just would like to spend more time honing projects, but it's the knowledge that if I make one video a month and one flops for whatever reason, I'm in serious trouble, you know, like the, yeah. that, the frequency gives you so much more of a safety bet, I guess. I mean, would you like to say do a video every two months and just really craft it? Or are you happy at the level that that balance that you're at the moment? Interestingly, this was the thing that I came across where with that parkour video, with that stupid, stupid parkour video. I'm so sorry. I hate it so much. It's fine. Whatever. Um, basically, at the start of the year, we had built ourselves enough like a runway financially that we were like, okay, what does it look like if we give ourselves infinite time to work on a video? You could just spend as much time on the project as you want. And for me personally, the result of that was... I hated it. It was the worst. It was the worst. It was the worst. Uh, (laughs) I think it's because like the way that I make decisions are based so much in time, right? Like I'm obligation motivated person. Mm -hmm. So it's like, if I say that the video is coming out this day, I get to work backwards to build out my timeline. If the video doesn't have a deadline, I just spend so much time trying to just craft and make choices that like aren't necessarily efficient they don't make the video better Mm. they're not like helping anyone other than just like spending time for time's sake so in an ideal world I am motivated to make a video where it's like the deadline is in a month and then I only extend it if the research needs help or I'm waiting on like an interview that will make this video but they're only available like a couple days after their scheduled deadline and I'll push things for that but I'm the type of person who wants a relatively short deadline and I extend it for a good reason. Yeah it's that classic thing isn't it you'd make the same thing in a month or two months and in two months you just hate it more because you've been staring at it for longer. You know what? I'd say the parkour video would be better if I had less time on it. It's fun. To be fair, I had a functioning AI and then I scrapped it to start from scratch and then it didn't work again. <laughs> it's all part of the journey. It's all part of the learning journey. It was a fun video. I enjoyed learning parkour. Give it a year, you'll look back and you'll love it. You'll be like, wow, best thing I've ever made. I hate every video I've ever made. So that's wrong. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm- when people say kill your darlings, they normally mean like before you make the thing, not like, you know, or mm. in the edit. They don't normally mean after you've released something. Yeah. You're, you're just throwing the clays up in there and shooting them down yourself. Like I haven't made that many videos on Answer in Progress. I haven't, I guess I've made a lot of videos in my life compared to the average human being who probably makes Zero. Yeah. However, <laughs> I still find myself at the point where like, I am learning so much from project to project that I see a video and I remember everything that went uh, wrong with it and how I would be able to do it again so much better today. And like, I can still appreciate the value of the video. Like, I say I hate it, but that's because I'm very judgmental. But like, I can under, it's fine. It's a fine video. But do I love it? No. Mm. <laughs> You don't get that when you watch back an old video, like, oh, because I think when I do that, I'm like, I think of me at the time. I don't think of the mistakes. I think of like young Mm. me and I'm like, oh, Oh. look at you making that joke. That's a good joke. That sounds so healthy. (laughs) What a healthy relationship you have with your work. I look back on my old videos and I go, wow, look at me. I'm full of hope. I thought things would get better. Climate, climate creator. Wow, we were only an ex-PPM at that point. Yeah. We finish these chats by asking our guest the same five rapid-fire questions, starting with... If I gave you a million dollars, 
what video would you make with that money? Great question. <laughs> Let me think for a second. <laughs> One second. I would start a savory bubblegum company. Oh my. So, I love it. I love this. <laughs> I chew a lot of chewing gum. It's gotten to the point that I have like irreparable jaw damage. It's not good. I should not chew as much gum as I do. However, people are like, oh, gum needs to be minty. It needs to be refreshing. Why? It's like a little snack that you could have whenever. And it's like, why does the first bite need to be mint? I'm not saying like turmeric or cumin flavored. <laughs> Keep away from those yellow tinge spices. But like, you know, those little crackers that taste like a pizza with like yeah. the little tomato seasoning? Why can't yeah. that be a gum? Why mm. not? And I know that there are valid reasons and market research for why this isn't the case. But you gave me a million dollars. That's a you problem, not a me problem. <laughs> <laughs> I immediately thought of like steak, I have to admit. Like that as just oh, rolling a piece of steak around oh, your mouth constantly. Like chewing a really chewy steak. Yeah. It's the length of time. I think you're used to having gum in your mouth for a long time. But then again. Yeah, but some, like some gums, they go off like within minutes. Yeah. So why why do we hold savory gum to a different standard? I don't think we should. Is that something Willy Wonka made in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory? <laughs> I feel like it Yeah, he did, be. I think. Yeah. I think he did a turkey dinner. Yes. Oh, wow. Someone knows their old doll. Get her on mastermind. Jeez. <laughs> oh, okay. That was an excellent answer. I'm excited for your other answers. So next question. What is one change you would make to YouTube to improve the site? I'm not going to lie. YouTube's pretty good. People keep saying this. Interesting. Like, I think especially, like, YouTube has had its problems, right? But nowadays, like, it does seem like they are taking steps to improve the process for video creators. As a video consumer, I don't subscribe to YouTube Premium, and sometimes it gets a little insufferable the amount of ad spots there are. No, there are two every single time? Uh, a skippable one and an unskippable one? That's oh, yeah. wild. But, you know... I also get paid through ad revenue, so like... <laughs> Everyone, buy YouTube Premium. A, it's worth it, and B, it helps us, okay? <laughs> yeah, everybody I talk to, they're like, YouTube Premium is worth it if you watch, like, one YouTube video a week, which is probably true. But, oh, really? That costs more than my $0 Netflix subscription that I'm bumming off my parents. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they just need to make YouTube Premium bum-offable. Ah. <laughs> Don't know how I feel about that. Maybe that's the change. Yeah, I guess it throws off your algorithm. <laughs> yeah. Hmm, what do I actually wish would change? I think that their analytics does well. Oh, oh, you know what I would do? <sighs> okay, we host our Patreon exclusive videos on our YouTube channel as well. Just keep them all in one place, be able to track everything. Unfortunately, that means that all of your videos, listed and unlisted, like public and private, are all just on the same page. Big old row. Yeah. Just give me another tab. Like, you can technically filter it based off visibility. But I don't want to turn on the filter every time. Just give me, like, different sections. Like, let me customize how I see my videos in the YouTube studio. That's what I would change. That's a strong answer. Mm. I really agree with that one. I'd not thought of it before, but I completely agree as well. Yeah, because I deliberately <laughs> host my Patreon stuff on another channel just so it's not annoying me. We figured it out too late. I would also like to add, I realized the million dollar question was about making a video. And I just said yeah, that I would no. start. <laughs> it was just sort of assumed that the video was going to be made about the gum. <laughs> Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah, that's true. You were just like, oh, I'd start an empire of savory gum. <laughs> Watch out, Mr. Beast. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to say, it does sound like a Mr. Beast video, actually. But hopefully better, and not with a horrific environmental impact. Next question. What do you think educational video will look like in 10 years' time? Ooh, 
I don't think it'll look that different. Here's the thing where like educational video on YouTube is like shifted dramatically. It's changed over time. But what it's done is like not too different from what like TV productions hit like a while back, right? Maybe like it's only a segment of a production or whatever, but like we haven't reinvented, we actually, we have reinvented the wheel. We accidentally went full circle and then just did what TV was doing just with less money. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if we're going to change anything dramatically on a technical level, on like a visual level. I think that we'll see uh, an increase in topic coverage because like with TV, you need a certain amount of expected interest to be able to tell that story. But on YouTube and like in independent video production, which is becoming more accessible every day. You just need somebody who's interested enough. Like it needs to be their thing and they could make that their thing. That could mm -hmm. be their whole thing. So I think that we'll see an increase in the types of people who are represented and the types of stories that get covered. But on an actual production level, it's probably going to be about the same. Somebody's already doing it today and they'll do it tomorrow. Nice. Okay. Final two questions. These are shorter ones. Other than the three of us on this call and Taha Melissa. So in our thoughts. In our thoughts <laughs> and prayers. In our thoughts and prayers. <laughs> yeah. Hashtag thoughts and prayers. RSVP. Other than all of us, who is one creator that everyone should watch in your opinion? Ooh, okay. So the things that I love watching on the internet are like, I miss the old YouTube. I miss when people were just making things on their own schedule because they wanted to make the thing. So... I'm a big fan of Life of Riza. Riza? I've never learned how to pronounce her name. And I know her in real life. <laughs> she is reinventing, in my opinion, the daily vlog. It is still a daily vlog. It's still a little bit about nothing, which is nice. It's nice to see a daily vlog where it's not like, I did something extreme that no human would do in their daily life, <laughs> but I'm vlogging it, so it counts. She's like, I wanted to go ice skating. Oh no, the skating rink was closed. <laughs> like she tells that type of story, but she tells it in such like a gorgeous way. Like she thinks a lot about the cinematography and it's just beautiful. She tells a beautiful story, a beautiful human story. It's nice. Colt Kieran, I love his YouTube videos because I steal his rigs all the time. He, he like he's just good at he's good at designing a shot. I'll steal that. My bad. <laughs> and oh, Tejas. Tejas is also very fun. He's a little bit closer to like answer in progress. I don't know if you guys remember this, but uh, becoming YouTube. Yes. Way back in the day. Yeah. He's kind of doing that for our modern day, which is very fun. Ah. Uh, but like the three of them kind of like remind me of this era of YouTube that I miss and it's mm. fun and they bring me joy. That sounds like the year of YouTube I miss as well. So I'm going to have to check those out. Yeah, you gave us three for one. So thanks. Oh, I'm yeah. so sorry. You keep saying, here's a short. Oh, I'm no, so no, no, sorry. No, 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 it's great. You gave us an answer for Taha and Melissa who are in our thoughts and prayers. <laughs> yes, there we go. And then final question, excluding, again, three channels represented on this call and the channels that you just mentioned, what's one video you think everyone should watch? My video, where I recite 3,141 <laughs> digits of pi. No, <laughs> but yes. But uh, <laughs> this is the dumbest answer. The Joey Chestnut 2023 hot dog eating competition, Nathan's famous hot dog eating competition, Joey Chestnut's introduction, electrifying. It gets me so hyped up in a way that I cannot describe. It is like the perfect caricature of American consumerism, yet it it's so earnest that it makes you buy into it for a moment. It is not pretending to be anything other than what it is. And I'm obsessed with it. 
Thank you. Sublime. Incredible. End scene. Look at that. When I designed the questions for this podcast, I was like, we're going to get a really interesting cross-section of, you know, different <laughs> educational YouTubers. Everyone has picked fucking weird videos. Yeah. Like, we've had like one educational video. Yeah. We're going to make a playlist and it's going to be like, yeah, one of them is just someone's like Premiere Pro, how to sort out the audio, which Hell they've just yeah. watched. There's this hot dog eating thing. There's freaking, I can't remember what. You gotta watch it. Brian said there's an obscure Irish joke from like years ago on kids TV um, yeah. <laughs> only one person has said Bill Wirtz's history of the entire world I guess which I was like that's going to come up multiple times that's going to be like an easy recommend but only one move over Bill Wirtz Joey Chestnut's in town Joey yeah. Chestnut's in town yeah <laughs> This was a fascinating conversation with Sabrina. You go first, Sophie. I mean, what, what was your big takeaway from our discussion? Just seeing that scientific process, that learning process as an adventure. And I really related to what Sabrina said about that love of learning sort of slowly being squeezed out of her as she went through the education system. Mm. And so I really like that idea of looking at the learning process as an adventure, things can go wrong, all that kind of stuff. And when she said, hopefully my videos make people want to go out and learn, I thought, well, this conversation makes me want to go out and make adventure style sci-com videos. And I think showing the process has become more common. Mm. I've noticed in creators that I follow that they have put a bit more emphasis on this is how I got here rather than the end result. And I think Answer in Progress is the best example of it. But I think it's really heartening that that is spreading to other creators. For sure. And it makes you more relatable to the person who's watching. They can picture themselves in your position. You know, they are learning alongside you. They could be doing exactly what you're doing. Well, maybe not writing a whole code, but, you know, other kind of stuff. And I think it's a really good way to teach or engage people. What about you, Simon? What are your thoughts? I think the... the Big takeaway that I had from our conversation was I don't know if I've spoken to anyone who has a more fundamental understanding of what works in the educational YouTube space. Mm. I think Sabrina has an innate understanding. With, and I think the other members of, of Answer in Progress too as well. They just get it. You know, they know what the website wants. And I think it's a result of the incremental improvements that she talked about. Mm. They've got a kid. Ah, this is the thing. We're seeing them having it as the end result. But their YouTube channel, like to get quite meta, is a record of how they got there. Oh, yeah, you're right. Like each video is a learning journey, but their whole channel is a learning journey about developing a channel. It's a meta learning That's journey. That's uber meta. Those are two brands also. We've got to be careful or Mark Zuckerberg will take over this podcast. <laughs> That's all for this episode, and indeed this season. We hope you enjoyed it. Yeah, because we've really enjoyed making it, and really appreciate you listening and getting all the way to the end. If you did enjoy the podcast, please do let us know on social media, and perhaps you can suggest creators you'd like us to talk to in the next season. As ever, you can also rate the podcast wherever you catch your pods, and recommend us to anyone who may be interested in making science videos on YouTube. But for the last time this season, thank you for listening to How to Make a Science Video, a Nebula podcast. The producer was, as always, Simon Clark. Our music and editing were provided by Fergus Hall and our artwork by Lizzie Fiakovsky. A massive thank you to Sabrina for joining us for our final episode. You can check out her videos on youtube.com slash answer in progress. 
If you enjoyed this episode, I really hope you did. Please do recommend the podcast to your friends, family, whoever, and rate us on your podcast service of choice. 